passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special Post news update. I'm John Pollock along with Wei Ting on a Thursday. How are you, Wei? You know, not bad, John. We had a rare Wednesday off, of course, due to uh, AEW Dynamite's postponement. But uh, how did you spend it? On Wednesday, I I began thinking to myself that if I could totally adapt to this schedule where. Friday nights would be like your Friday is a write off as is in our current schedule. So I would not um, I would not mind throwing up AEW programming on Friday night and you just like the nights are write off anyway in exchange for Wednesday the breather in the middle of the week. Unfortunately, we are not getting that at all uh, come this summer because we are not only keeping our Wednesday schedule, but we are tacking on another hour of programming on Friday night. So I'm, I'm going to enjoy. I enjoyed Wednesday night just not having wrestling to watch, uh, as I will next week. Uh, but what I did do with my time was uh, later on Wednesday night, I watched the Mike Tyson documentary that aired the first part aired on NBC or sorry, on ABC uh, this past weekend. Interesting. Okay, this is a new one. Yeah, it's a brand new one. Um, pretty, pretty in-depth interview, uh, or pretty in-depth documentary. Uh, but all, um, as I'm recalling it now, I think it's all archived interview clips with Mike Tyson and no up-to-date ones. But there are no shortage of people that are interviewed on this. I, I, I enjoyed it quite a lot. It ends part one ends right after he loses the title to Buster Douglas in April of 1990. And then the teaser for part two is you go into the whole rape case and everything. Of Essentially, we have watched the rise of him to this unbelievable superstar that is worth millions and millions of dollars. And now the cracks are beginning to form. His home life is falling apart. Now he's suffered this loss to Buster Douglas. And we're about to watch the decline throughout the 90s. Wow, it's fascinating. There's um, obviously a lot to that story. So, do you know? Uh, so, I guess it's it's not necessarily authorized or unauthorized if he's not participating in it. I I don't know. I'm just trying to recall that. I'm pretty sure all the interview clips are archived. But I I, I believe Tyson is actually interviewed. So I I think he is associated with this. So someone okay. will likely chime in that has followed this closer. But I do believe Tyson has an involvement in this. Cool. What did you do with your Wednesday? Man, I just relaxed. Like, I didn't even think we turned the TV on. You know, it was just, uh, I guess, like taking care of errands. I had a suit fitting yesterday for a wedding that, um, well, we'll have to update a lot of people, well, our, our private guests about. But 
it's looking like it's not happening the way that we had initially wanted to with current restrictions. So it's just having to deal with a lot of that. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of relaxed and enjoyed the night off. Well, we're uh, going to go into a bunch of news because since we talked on Monday, a few things have gone down. And we'll start off with the broadcast situation in WWE. So several items to all of this. Number one, Adnan Verk is out with the WWE announcing that the sides have mutually agreed to part ways after six weeks of Adnan Verk as the voice of Raw. Replacing him will be former Bellator and UFC commentator Jimmy Smith. And just uh, reported earlier today by Fightful.com is that among the releases this week includes Tom Phillips. So a lot their way. Um, first of all, the Adnan Verk experiment, certainly one that did not did not pan out. Were you at all surprised that the WWE made such a decision after six weeks? I mean, that is a pretty... Like, typically, they do let these things play out. And the fact that it was so short-lived, like, it very much was, um, I would say, a little surprising it was so early that they made this decision. Yeah, it was mainly, I think, the the speed in which mm, they, you know, basically aborted this experiment that was the probably the only surprising part of all this. Um, I, I will say it feels like he had kind of settled into you know, some sort of um, groove, if you want to call it that, that obviously wasn't great, but um, at least was tolerable. And, you know, I could have seen them sticking with that Denver for at least, you know, a few more months, if not even longer than that, because he just, he, he it wasn't to the point where I think he was, his commentary was offensive. Like I, I found him, eventually I just kind of started to tune him out. And, you know, for all the benefit that you would assume that they hired him for in the first place, that being, I suppose, some sort of notor a bit of notoriety in, in a mainstream sports world, I you would assume that they were happy enough, but clearly not. They're going with Jimmy Smith. That was a surprising name for me, given, I think, the exact same criticisms you would have of Adnan Verk. And just going through this, I mean... They're two different broadcasters. I get that. But with Jimmy Smith, I mean, you have the same situation of someone who admittedly, um, you know, he followed wrestling when he was young, but by 1990 stated like he was completely out of pro wrestling up until getting this phone call from Michael Cole about the potential of auditioning for WWE. And I mean, since then, he said that he has not missed a second of WWE programming. He certainly comes across, and this, I think, would be very evident if you've... I, I was a big fan of his work, uh, particularly in, in Bellator, where he was calling weekly shows uh, f fanatic when it comes to research and preparation, which I don't doubt he is applying here. But, you know, this is, this is certainly... I, I think you can see a lot of the same potential problems as you just went through with Adnan Verk. However, for that very reason, I see Jimmy Smith probably having a lot more leeway because I think if if you go through six weeks of this and you have the same outcome, it kind of reflects much more on WWE than it does either of the broadcasters. Sure, certainly. Um, and I have to imagine that they would at least be somewhat conscious of like that. You know, the fact that this is taking as big of a risk. Uh, I would say 
to me, it, it, on the surface, it seems like a bit less of a risk because I, I guess you are talking about somebody with combat sports, with more direct combat sports play-by-play experience, even though he was not, not, not play-by-play play play. way. I mean, he was mm-hmm. he was in an analyst position. He's doing play-by-play on Raw, which is not a position that he had. Yeah, it is uh, certainly different, but I would say I have a bit more faith in this transition than maybe somebody coming from like baseball, you know, or some something somebody coming from a sport that really has nothing to do with pro wrestling or the flow of pro wrestling at all. Uh, but we'll see. You know, my my optimism is a little bit higher, but probably still not that high that we have found Raw's permanent, you know, play by play commentator. Uh, it, it's an indicator that they are really dead set on people from the outside world, people with no pro wrestling experience, uh, or at least people who, you know, they, they value their experience outside of the wrestling world a lot more than, you know, people who do have that because I, there are a lot of great pro wrestling announcers out there that are untapped, but, you know, maybe don't have the public cachet as even somebody like a Jimmy Smith. Well, that's certainly, I I think of a factor in this. For me, after you've gone through this, you know, they went through an experiment with Adnan Verk. It did not work out. To me, I would have gone with just a safe pick. And that, for me, would have been Vic Joseph that you put in there. And even if your long-term strategy is like, you know, Jimmy Smith conveyed that his audition went really well and they were very happy with him. And the proof will be what you hear on Monday. If that is the case and you see this person as someone to develop, I would assign him to something like an NXT, which is still a high profile spot. But number one, it's not the spotlight of Raw. Number two, it is not being produced by Vince McMahon. Number three, the NXT, not not across the board, but I think the style that he would be put in a position to call would be much more adaptable for his background when you look at the options of your Kyle O'Reilly's, your Pete Dunn's, Kushida's, that uh, even a Karrion Cross, and drawing from those influences that I think would be an easier bridge for him as, as opposed to going right into the deep end and this guy is going to be reacting to Lily and Alexa Bliss. <laughs> Well, and, uh, <laughs> that's just a funny notion to have to think. And he's going to have to cross that bridge probably very uh, on Monday this coming week. But, um, you know, unfortunately, even though I think on, on the surface that sounds like a great idea, like ultimately they want somebody of that, quote unquote, you know, brand value, name value to be attached to their, their raw show, their flagship show, or at least, you know, one of their flagship shows. And, and, and I get that way, but like, and and I'm not. This isn't a, a, a like any disrespect, but I, I don't think Jimmy Smith is like that name that is like he is not uh, of the the level of notoriety of an Adnan Verk. Nowhere near that. Yeah, sure, but uh, nonetheless, I, I I listen. Your guess is as good as mine. I think he is simply somebody who happens to be in that system right now. They need a name. And hey, who's uh, who's that guy who uh, you know used to do the uh, MMA uh, on that other channel? Okay, well let's let's give him a shot. And he, you know who's an, you know who's a candidate that if you were looking for all those things is his former broadcast partner Sean Wheelock, who was a and is like followed wrestling from a young age in Kansas City and would be able to do it seamlessly uh, and has done pro wrestling in the past. 
well, for whatever reason, his name was not on their radar. And, um, you know, he's not among the, the choices. Um, it's It really is quite amazing when you think about this, like, billion-dollar company and, like, the people that they really have to choose from. They could choose from anybody, but yet it's, like, they consistently make the bad decisions. And, again, we have to give Jimmy Smith a chance. because that, That's right. We haven't heard him at all uh, beyond the, the pre-shows. Um, so, uh, mm-hmm. like, you have to go into it open-minded. He might impress everyone on Monday. Like, the... You, you can't make a, a judgment until and, and honestly, even after one episode, I said the same with Adnan Verk. I don't like you need several weeks, six weeks, six weeks. It, well, apparently six, six is the magic number you need. And then you can um, then you can render a decision on someone's fate. Yeah. J- Jimmy but, Smith, you know, if if you did hear him on his Instagram live, um, you know, he, he talked about uh, a lot of this stuff and was even one of the questions was he was like asked about. I guess the question was something to the effect of, uh, do you get more than one week? And he, he was just like, I, I think I, I've got to get at least more than more than one week. So, I mean, <laughs> like, I think he's going into I, this with, like, the right uh, mindset. I hope these Instagram lives continue after every Raw, where he just has, like, this sort of, like, you know, uh, post-production meeting with the, the audience. And, I mean, I am kind of, like, speaking in jest a little bit. But I also feel like much of this has to – will come down to what the audience is – uh, feeling is towards his commentary. And I actually feel like sort of that transparent dialogue of, of him saying, you know, I could have done better here and, and better here. That's actually not such a bad thing. So I hope he keeps that open discourse with the, with the public. Um, earlier this week, um, a lot of cuts at WWE essentially consolidating uh, several departments. So uh, what it looks to be is that the television department its advanced media section and WWE studios will now be kind of under this umbrella as WWE media run by Kevin Dunn. Conversely, it looks like all of the international offices are going to be overseen by Nick Khan. And this resulted in many cuts um, cited as redundancy, uh, including some uh, notable executives uh, that have been reported on from uh, WrestleNomics, Fightful, PW Insider, and so, I mean, just looking at it, way that this is, you know, I think especially what people were looking at was as you're going into this Peacock deal and one of the big talking points from the company executives, including Stephanie McMahon, has been, well, this deal allows us to get away from the the technical uh aspect and being in that competitive field on on the tech side of things and we can focus on content creation which is our strength and so it might be a curious decision when you see that you are getting rid of people that are involved in that aspect of your business but it's also like you are getting this guaranteed amount every year from peacock and i I guess they, they viewed some of those roles as being quote unquote redundant Mm -hmm. yeah you know these are sort of factors of um I guess these sort of big overarching deals that we don't really think about, but, you know, always unfortunate to hear people losing their, their work, not even necessarily, you know, people in, in sort of these like executive positions, but some of many of the smaller people, uh, you know, who just pretty much hold these regular jobs that we'll probably never really get to hear about, but, you know, it encompasses a lot, a lot of divisions and yeah, you, you do kind of understand it. I mean, it's, it just seems to be, I mean, it happens all the time and like consolidation of what they seem to determine as sort of, um, uh, you know, unnecessary roles at this point. 
Yeah. And creating just like a, a leaner job set um, within the company. And, you know, it's it's been interesting to watch on the WWE Network that some of these um, digital projects that they put out, you're starting to see credit rolls at the end. And I think that's that's a welcome change because everyone raves when WWE Network puts out some of these specials and a lot of the names like you are not the average person is not going to be familiar with who is putting these together. And, you know, those are some of the names that are likely, you know, thrown into these cuts that you're not familiar with, but you probably enjoyed their work in some form or fashion. Mm hmm. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if we see any effects in terms of quality or in terms of like even sort of Output. editorial direction. Uh, yeah. Of a lot of these things, and in particular, I'm thinking about you know more so um, documentary series that the WWE Studios would would have had a hand in, such as you know these A and D documentaries, um, the upcoming Vince McMahon documentary, which I would assume would be near completion, or you know at least you know maybe past the stages of any sort of like outside interference by this point. But that that's really what I'm curious about, um, and I I would certainly I would hope not. You know, I think the more independent voices you have, the better rather than I, I, I feel like this news, you know, I don't think Kevin Dunn has like necessarily the best public reputation at this point amongst the diehard wrestling fans. And to have him kind of at the helm of, of everything, or at least like being the sole voice or of one of the one of the bigger voices, um, it might be um, something that might not be met with that much, you know, fanfare. Uh, Raw on Monday did 1,620,000 viewers, a 0.45 in the demo, uh, that coming from uh, PW Torch, uh, who also noted NXT doing 698,000 viewers and a 0.13 in the demo. So for NXT, viewership was almost similar to last week, but the demo, um, you know, 0.13 is not a great number. Both, of course, are going against the NBA playoffs, which is going to be taking out um, a, a chunk of your audience. Um in Canada, Raw ended up doing 178,000 viewers. So while it was down, I would say that number, all things considered, held up fairly well, considering that the Leafs-Canadians game did over 3.3 million viewers on Monday night going against it. Um, so those are your ratings notes. I guess I, I would say a bit disappointing, considering you had built up this carrying Cross finn Balor rematch, which was a very strong match, but it was not able to spike your viewership in any way. Yeah, so, I mean, these numbers seem to, you know, be reflective of what were NXT used to be. So if you're NXT, um, well, how would you assess the move to Tuesdays right now? Well, after, I mean, for the month of May, so we have a whole month here of unopposed Tuesdays, they're averaging 714,000 viewers and a 0.16 in the demo. So you're seeing, um, compared to when you did have AEW competition, it's up, but not not by any sizable amount. So I, I would look at that as it's a bit of a... I mean, I can't say I am I am stunned because I didn't think that NXT was going to get the same bump as AEW would unopposed. Um, and I think that coming up the next two months are going to be hard to gauge because you're going to have this um, you're going to have the playoffs that in theory should only be come that much tougher and larger audiences that you're competing against. So I, I would say that the move to NXT, I think long term, this is going to be a help. For NXT, I think the shows have been better with without having the competition on the other channel, but the numbers have not 
they, they have not swelled to any meaningful degree without AEW. You know, the other thing I, is that, you know, we have, at least in my opinion, seen a bit more of an awareness of NXT on Raw, you know, at least throughout the commercial breaks, being constantly, you know, told, hey, this is the main event coming up on the very next day. We don't even have to wait the next day. And it hasn't necessarily pay, paid off in, in terms of added viewership for NXT. So what, you know, could they be doing more in that sense? Or do you think there's only so much of an appetite for, for wrestling between Monday and Tuesday? Yeah, I th- I think that you you can't say that they are they are utilizing that that audience of 1.8 million viewers on Monday nights to drive people to NXT. I think you have to really be paying attention to catch those promos. I agree like they have I think they have tried especially with with the cage match promos that they had last week with Gargano and Bronson Reed. I think there's more of an awareness of it, but it's not as though it's a hard push that they make on Raw. That said, I, I don't think that's going to be the difference either of like a hundred thousand viewers. So, I mean, it 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 comes down to me of any of these NXT stars really catching fire. I think that it's it's a show that it's it's a pretty enjoyable show most weeks, but I don't know if they have been able to establish these shows as must see, even when you have a big rematch from your last takeover special that they spent several weeks building up. It doesn't appear that even that was enough of a, of a draw uh, to people. Like it's got, it's, it's got its baked in audience and it's going to be very hard to spike that number unless you have something very, very special. And typically what we've seen over the last year is what has added to NXT are either doing a big takeover special or like a theme show, like a Halloween havoc that I think the name very much helped that as well. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's also in this case maybe you know the the stock of somebody like a Karrion Cross who if you're just watching Raw you really would have no awareness of at all. Uh, even if you're an NXT fan, it's like you know he's he's still really I would say under the cusp of like sort of quote unquote like superstardom even if, on an NXT basis. So we haven't discussed this yet, but uh, for a performer in John Cena who one of his biggest attributes i would say has been this guy has been as controversy free as you're going to find um he has really found himself um in this situation where he has received so much backlash uh for this interview he recently did uh where he was speaking in mandarin and noting that the first country that f9 is going to be playing in would be taiwan and this led to a unbelievable backlash in China um, that does not recognize Taiwan as an independent country. And a follow-up apology video by John Cena, also delivered in Mandarin, profusely repo- apologizing for this error in judgment. And it's it's led to great uh, unrest among those that feel that John Cena uh, capitulated to this and and apologized over something that he shouldn't have. So it seems like it, uh, he just seems like this has been a a very significant story uh, that John Cena has found himself in. Certainly. Yeah. So, you know, my, my views on this, as soon as it came out was, um, I, I mean, I certainly like, you know, looked as deep into the story as I could. Um, And I, Seeing that everything that he was saying was in Mandarin, the first thing I feel that's necessary is that we 
we have to remember that this man is communicating all of this in a language that is not that is not his first language. In a, even though he is incredibly fluent, far more fluent than I will ever be in Mandarin, I think we have to recognize that his vocabulary is still very limited when it comes to this language. So, can you imagine like the like? <laughs> John, you having to like go out to Japan to do media for post wrestling and then like saying something offensive in that language to those people without realizing that you have and then trying to have to come up with an apology at the same time. So in that sense, I have sympathy for for this, for this situation for him. It is incredibly sad that, of course, he feels the need to uh, make that sort of apology over something like that. That should be a completely accepted fact by everybody. Unfortunately, this is a topic that is very sensitive in China, who holds nationalism uh, in very high regard. And any sort of like form of separatism is seen as almost like, you know, a treasonous discussion. So here's John Cena. You have to remember somebody who not only is one of his attributes, somebody who seems to be, you know, free of political, um, I don't know, commentary. He's also somebody who speaks Mandarin, and I have no doubt that that was probably one of the decisions behind, you know, his hiring for F9, or at the very least, one of his main um, features is that he could help promote this film in China. Not only did he manage to piss off the Chinese audience, but in trying to apologize to the Chinese audience, which is what I think he was trying to do, first and foremost, not really sort of like... Yeah, he he like he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But I also feel like that's part, I don't think he can get into like deep commentary in Mandarin when talking about Taiwan, like if he even wanted to. But secondly, I think at that point he was just thinking, oh, shit, I really pissed off China. Uh, people who have, uh, you know, employed me for this film aren't going to be happy about that. Let me send send this thing on Weibo that that'll try to fix it. But in doing that, he just pissed off the rest of the world. So he's kind of like turned the situation from bad to worse. And um, to me, well, it's an indicator of, of, sorry, it, to me, it's an indicator of just like the very kind of sensitive sensitivity of maybe the, the Chinese audience uh, when it comes to topics like this. It's also an indicator of um, the difficulty in trying to, um, mm, ooh trying to appease like politics at the same time as trying to cater, you know, enter our entertainment to a, a, another market. Um, there are going to be, if anything, like this whole thing has kind of brought about like the topic of Taiwan up, you know, to, to a larger audience and has made people maybe a bit more aware of the situation. But, you know, we, we, we talk about, um, we're talking about China a whole lot now when, uh, when it comes to our entertainment with like everything going on with Chloe Zhao and Shang-Chi with, with Marvel. Um, and it's a discussion that I think continues to like, you know, um, it's going to be a lot bigger. You know, can Hollywood be okay accepting Chinese money while, you know, um, disagreeing with their politics? Um, I don't know if you can really have one with the or without the other. You know, it's it, it, and to me, this is an example of that. To me, John Cena is not somebody who we count on for any sort of political commentary. He, to me, is just a company man right now trying to do damage control. Uh, and it's it's really blown up in his face. Yeah, I mean, this guy has been... I mean, if there's one thing you can say about John Cena is that he is always very careful. And I think that's that's a huge selling feature for John Cena. This is a very safe celebrity to be in business with 
if you are a film studio, if you are WWE, it like any endorsement, I mean, John Cena, that is kind of his brand. So like, I am a hundred percent sure that he had no idea what he was stepping into or went in there with any intent to, you know, this is a guy that just chose the wrong word. I don't think this is anywhere of a controversy. If he had just said uh, the first place that this is going to air in is Taiwan. But afterward, I think a lot of people were disappointed. And from some of the like limited commentary I've, I've seen on this, it, it seems that this not only upset kind of a worldwide audience that he ended up rendering this apology, but from the perspective of, of the Chinese is that it's not as though he went very in depth to in, endorse to denounce it either. So it's like, it wasn't enough of an apology uh, yet. It was enough of an apology to upset people. Cena did it. So he's just in a terrible place. And you're also looking at, this is a guy that yes, there's probably a, a quite a degree of self-preservation um, in terms of issuing this apology to try and for, for his own brand. But also, I mean, you're talking about a movie franchise that if, if you are, compromising its distribution uh it's probably impacting a lot of people beyond john cena and this is a guy that is going to put that mindset first it's just it's it's a terrible situation he found himself in but it puts a spotlight on like the delicate reaction of just something to that degree when, when you're talking about different parts of the world that are not going to be taking to it uh so kindly yeah, yeah, and if I'm John Cena, I'm not doing any more press in Mandarin. I, I, all I'm saying is ni hao, ni hao. Like I'm, I'm pretending I've, I've got like very little Mandarin speaking. Well, well I, I, I read this like thought, and I'd be curious your thought. Like, if this exact, if the exact same wording, um, is done by John Cena, but he's stating it in English. Do, you, do you think it's any different because it was in Mandarin uh, that it had kind of the the impact. And you mean the second statement, his apology, or the first one? The, the first one. If he had been doing English media and mentioned Taiwan as a country, do you think that gets the same blowback effect? You know, I, I, I'm not aware of, like, John Cena's level of, like, understanding of that whole situation. So he could very well have said country without understanding the ramifications. Mm -hmm. um, that that would be a different question. Uh, but if he had said place, I, I would agree with you that this would not be an issue. Yeah, so it's just, um, yeah, that's kind of the story. Like, do, do you think long term, like, this is going to impact John Cena moving forward? Do you think that this is a story that will 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 dissolve um, in the weeks to come? I largely feel like it will dissolve, but you know, it's hard to say. Like, you know, what 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 China's uh, practices are like. You know, every year they only allow a certain number of American films to be crossed crossed over in order to. Um, you know, make money at their box office. And uh, I imagine F9 is still going to be one of those because it's such such a big franchise. And I don't think this really hurts it. Um, and I don't think it... Like, Cena is the type who I think is so, you know, uncontroversial that he'll step out of the spotlight long enough for this to not be a bit of an issue. But will it linger in North America or, like, in the Western world that, hey, his name is now sort of attached to this, like... Because on the surface, it does not look good. You know, all these articles of, of John Cena apologizing in Mandarin and professing his love of China, which, by the way, 
is an absolutely fine statement to say. I think we can, you know, separate, we have to be able to separate somebody's love for the people of a country or simply the country itself without him necessarily pledging allegiance to the Chinese Communist Party. Like, these are separate things. And I feel like that's what John Cena's intent is. And I think that's totally fine. But certainly when you read the headline, John Cena apologizes on in Chinese and professes his love for China. It doesn't read that well. Um, so will this follow him? I mean, I don't think so. I think, I think you know, a certain the news cycle moves fast. And this is not like sort of, a, a, in my opinion, like an irredeemable act. But I could be wrong. Well, on that note, I think we're going to wrap things up for this uh, post-news update. Uh, but just to give everyone a heads up, uh, we do have the new British Wrestling Experience, uh, well, offshoot of the British Wrestling Experience. Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure is up now with the two, Martin Bushby, Andrew Thompson, reviewing Beyond the Mat, along with special guest Andy Quilden of RevPro, uh, chatting about the documentary and Andy also discussing a Will Ospreay, his status with RevPro. So a bit of a update on that front. And then Friday night, uh, we are going to be back midnight Eastern with a special rewind, a Dyna down as Way and I review Dynamite and SmackDown together Friday night at midnight for all patrons. All that plus our review of The Dissident that drops for patrons on Friday at postwrestlingcafe.com as we head into Double or Nothing Weekend Way. No shortage Lots coming out. We're, you know, we we might have taken the evening off yesterday, but we are going to make up for it uh, in in more more ways than one on uh, over the weekend. So please join us, everybody, at postwrestlingcafe.com. And that's going to wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for checking out this post news update, and we will speak with you Friday.